This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane here with Chris Valente. Chris, hello. Good evening, Rob. How are you doing this wonderful evening? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I um, nothing too crazy. I was at the ballpark site today as we were building Polar Park, and in Polar Park is a little different. That's people are like, why don't you just build Green Monster? I mean, why don't you just build Fenway? And it's like, ah, eh, you know, it just doesn't work that way. But our ballpark, Polar Park, has a wall in right field uh, that is taller than the average wall. It's like 25 feet high-ish, give or take. And they had it where you could actually go down and walk on it today. Uh, it was pretty cool. And there's going to be like a bar right behind it. And it's going to be... Uh, Did you guys name it? The Worcester like the, Wall. The Worcester Wall. Worcester Wall. Well, uh, you know, and uh, yours truly, that's yours truly's name. I mean, they don't pay the big bucks for no reason. Yeah. And I also, today, today is also one of those great days where I spent the day with our concessionaire folks, our concession team, and we went to go talk to a potential pizza partner and a potential barbecue partner. So obviously they feed you and the pizza was, pizza was great and the barbecue was a twelve out of a seventy-five out of ten. It was give them a shout out. Who so good. BT's BT's Smokehouse. Um, they're in Sturbridge, Mass, and they got a new opening. Uh, they just opened one in Worcester. Phenomenal. I also went to the Wonder Bar in Worcester. They have great pizza, and that was the pizza place. So both were great. Where's the great. barbecue place you and I went to in Worcester that day after the meeting? The barbecue place that was in the um, was that in Green Street? Right it was like a ballpark? random, yeah. It was like in the Kelly Square, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, the uh, Smokestack, it's called. That was good. Those that are nice guys. Those, those yeah. are good guys. Yeah, we went there. Um, those are good guys. BTS is like, ah, it's like a different level. Have no to offense check it out. to the urban's uh, urban the uh, Smokestack <laughs> guys, but the BT stuff is. Oof. I just snorted. It's one of those places <laughs> that, um, you know where Treehouse is. I do. It's like right near there. All right. So, like, everyone just grabs your treehouse beer pre-COVID, right, when you can have fun and hang out with people. Um, you go to, And you go to BT's and get all your food. What's your – do you like treehouse? I'll be – I think I've had one treehouse in my life. I, really? I love craft beer. I don't, like 
I don't like to make a lot of effort for things. It's uh, a it's a big it's a big commitment. I have a, friends who go regularly. Like it's like I mean you you drop like hundreds of dollars. And when the, you go they out like there. trade them in the back, like in the parking lot, right? It's like oh, I got a case of this, and you got a case of that. Let's trade cases. It's you can go in and do your mix. Well, I don't know what it is with COVID right now. The last place I stepped foot in, from like a public setting, it was March 11th. It was a treehouse. I took a ride with my buddy that day. We went out there. Got some beer. I've drank a lot less beer than I used to. Treehouse beer is unbelievable. It's it's I think it's the first or second considered craft brew in the country at this point. Really? From a brewery stamp. Oh yeah, it's ranked. It's it's crazy. It, but anyway. I've asked them to be uh we so one of the banks that we deal with did yep. all of their lending to build all their stuff. And I was like, Hey, can you connect us with them? Would love to have treehouse. Oh, I know those ballpark, guys. right? He won't do it. Nothing. Doesn't not even won't, he's you can only buy the beer there at the brewery it's not in stores won't do a dollar of marketing because he doesn't need to yeah but i was like I, i'm not even saying like dean right dean dean yeah, founder right. dean yep founder dean but I, uh anyway i digress um that was a good ad read for them huh so it was <laughs> so i'm full still um and it's 10 o'clock at night or whatever and uh it was so today was kind of a today was kind of a fun day Always love meeting with the alcohol and the food people. Yeah, for you're always drinking or eating. It's great. It's great. It's One of our great partners is Wormtown, who has great beer. Uh, and going to theirs is just kind of like fun, right? Because it's like, all right, let's grab a beer and talk about whatever we need to talk about. And it's always yep. chill. It's always chill. Um, so one of the things that crossed the newswire this week as we were talking about has a lot of uh, you know, a lot of things we talk about, right? I work in minor league baseball, you work in major league baseball. Um, and we talk about this a lot. And one of the things that we've been discussing has been, and we've, hell, we raised money for, you know, minor league baseball front office, uh, employees. Uh, but also we were talking a little bit about the players and, uh, the players just had a big win where, uh, they were trying to get class action certification, uh, so that they could go as a group and sue Major League Baseball uh, to pay them more. They were saying that they didn't get paid uh, at least minimum wage. So that came through, and that was a big uh, this week, and came through for one of the uh, over the newswire and uh, very influential case. It's gonna, it could potentially change baseball. So, of course, we had to call our resident uh, national sports law expert, Mr. Uh, Dan Lust, and uh, we, we, and we, uh, you and I just uh, talked to him. So let's throw it to our interview uh, with Dan Lust, unless you want to say, uh, unless you want to say anything previous, prior. No, no, let's go. All right, all right. Well, welcome to the show, our resident national sports law expert, Dan Lust. Third time's a charm, Dan. Welcome. Not only am I the first second time guest in show history, right? I'm the first third time guest in show history. One and you two. are. You have that title. You are absolutely our third, first third and second guest ever. So congratulations. Absolutely. We'll your award will be in the mail. Um, so that means that uh, I'm going to issue an injunction over anybody else trying to come on for a third time. Just mark my words, future competitor of Dan Lost. For all you uh, youngins out there, go learn what that means so you can actually speak to Dan intelligently next time you have a conversation with him. So, um, Dan, well, thank you so much for joining again. And uh, well, the reason we wanted to have you on is to discuss 
a minor league baseball case that's been in the news recently regarding class action lawsuits and 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 their their pay scale regarding major league baseball and the supreme court so now that it's bubbling up to light we thought no one better on to have than you uh especially with your new podcast congratulations on that and also i know you landed a new role so feel free to promote whatever you'd like in that capacity but you know mostly want to hear what the hell's going on with minor league baseball for sure. Um, so I guess a little bit of a, a background uh, for those that have uh, not heard my previous appearances in your show. I think it's an important, I know you guys are very passionate about uh, marketing and uh, trying to hustle your way into the sports industry. Uh, for about a year and a half, I've been writing, tweeting, whatever else I can to get in this nexus of, uh, of the legal side of sports. Obviously, I'm an attorney. I used to work for the New York Giants, but uh, my day job forever uh, it feels like forever, so about seven years, has been in the pure law. So now after writing about it, covering it, basically like I was a member of the media, I am uh, in an official sports and entertainment legal job. So we represent athletes. We do anything, any number of things under the sun. So um, there's an expression which, uh, Chris, I know you and Rob have probably spoke about, but, you know, in a sense, you want to dress for the job that you want, not the one that you have, right? Fake it until you make it. And uh, I don't know who I faked, but I faked someone out. Because now uh, I have this nice uh, sports and entertainment job. But, you know, but to, to be fair to myself and not, not just to uh, be a total BSer, you know, I've learned the tricks of the trade for the past year and a half. Every day I'm scouring the news. I'm researching every area of the law that has to do with uh, sports. And, um, you know, like I uh, convinced someone at a job interview that I could pull this off full time. And, uh, you know, someone take someone it only takes one person to take a chance on you. So give you a good, uh, a good lesson for your, for your listeners over here. For sure. No, it goes back to, we always, and Rob and I say, do something. And you clearly saw some white spaces you and I have, and Rob have talked about that this industry is in terms of the background in law and how much stuff comes up. I mean, we, we deal with legal issues every, every day. And now this year more than ever, right? No one talked about force majeure until it actually happens. And now, every single team and every single entity is dealing with it. So uh, kudos to you and congratulations again for the new role. And uh, to have you on and be our sports law expert is, is a great resource. And I think our listeners find huge, huge advantages to hear what you have to say, because it just comes from a different perspective than someone like Rob or I. For sure. So let's, let's get into the, uh, we'll say the intersection between the Supreme court and baseball. It's such an odd thing to say, but that's really what we had. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, my podcast, Conduct Detrimental. Uh, we talk about all the intersections of sports and law and, and our perfect guest that we had actually on last night. And I implore all of you to listen to the episode if you're interested in, in baseball and this, the legal end of it. Uh, we had Garrett Brocious on our podcast. Garrett Brocious, no relation to Scott Brocious, uh, different spelling of the last name. But uh, I was going to say that World Series MVP, New York Yankee <laughs> Scott Brocious. <laughs> yeah, different, different. Uh, this is a pitcher's uh, Garrett Brocious, but uh, he uh, was a big, uh, you know, a, a high-level player at the University of Missouri, played uh, college ball with Max Scherzer, Ian Kinsler, uh, was a fifth-round draft pick of, the, of my San Francisco Giants, just coincidentally, and uh, basically, you know, rode the bus for the minor, with the minor leagues. He didn't get some massive bonus. He was making, uh, you know, uh, we'll say, I mean, for the purpose of the lawsuit, less than minimum wage. He was getting paid a stipend over the course of the year. Um, but to put it in perspective, he was getting paid less than the bat boy, truthfully. And this, and he'll, he'll get into the story and he gets into it, but less than the bat boy. And he realized like there's something fundamentally wrong. If I'm a minor league baseball player, 
I have worse living conditions than I had in college. And the bat boy is making significantly more than me. So, you know, that's the context of this lawsuit. In the country that we live in, uh, there are federal wage laws and there's some type of state uh, wage law protection. Um, but that basically means that, like, if you go to work at McDonald's and you're the cashier, uh, federal law mandates that you have to get paid a certain amount of money. Um, and for whatever reason, uh, minor league baseball players have not received, you know, minimum wage protection. So uh, Garrett's obviously near and dear to his heart. He was a minor league baseball player. Uh, he flamed out, I think, at double A. Um, had, you know, had his moments, passed through with the, a lot of the Giants that uh, were on some of the World Series teams, um, and then decided he wanted to go to law school. He tells this great story. Uh, within days of his final minor league start, he took the LSATs like the, uh, to, to go to law school. He did fairly well, went to a good school, St. Louis University School of Law. Um, and then basically within a couple of years of getting his JD, his law degree, he was representing the lead plaintiff, uh, who was a minor league baseball player, suing uh, you know, Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball, a mega lawsuit. Uh, and that lawsuit's now in its sixth year, six years into the case. So now finally touching the Supreme Court, um, you know, it's kind of on a technicality. It's not, you know, firmly in the Supreme Court. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting history. So I'm happy to kind of unpack it uh, and kind of talk about the historical precedents, uh, you know, and what this could mean for baseball long term. Yeah, so the the big news this week was the Supreme Court is going to allow the class action lawsuit to be carried on, right? So the Major League Baseball appealed to the Supreme Court to have the case thrown out, of which the Supreme Court denied, allowing the minor league lawsuit to move forward. So what's next? Yeah, I mean, so I guess from a uh, procedural back, we're not going to get too boring, but 2014, the lawsuit's filed, and uh, 2020, right, six years later, the Supreme Court's basically saying the case is allowed to proceed. So what was being challenged by Major League Baseball, and they spent a ton of money doing it. It's one of two things that Major League Baseball has spent a ton of money trying to derail the lawsuit. Class action certification is, is this term that means that, uh, you know, one plaintiff uh, and one plaintiff's attorney, uh, you can sign up a number of different players. So I think when I spoke to Garrett last night, 2,300 players are a part of this lawsuit. So it's a, it's a very big lawsuit. If you were to get rid of class action certification, that would mean um, essentially all of these cases would need to be brought individually by the players, which is a ton of work. Garrett's not going to take 2,300 cases. He's one human being. Um, but Garrett in a class action case can represent 2,300 players at the same time, just because the, the rule of class action law says if you're similarly situated, right? Like, you know, if I'm like, you know, uh, I'm uh, maybe that's probably not the best context, but like if I'm a minor league baseball player and I wasn't paid minimum wage law, there's a lot of minor league baseball players that are similarly aggrieved. You can represent them all with one attorney. So if major league baseball were to have one on that lawsuit, you basically derailed the entire thing. It's going to be really hard to get that many players to get that many attorneys uh, and moving all at the same pace. So a very big win for the players in that sense. So, um, you know, basically uh, they've, they've taken, uh, you know, I was talking to Garrett. 100 depositions. They've basically been in discovery for a year. Uh, and baseball really tried to put the, you know, pump the brakes on this and take a, an appeal first to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is, um, you know, if the trial court's the lowest court where you start out, the, the uh, Circuit Court of Appeals is the next highest one. And the only one above the Circuit Court of Appeals is the Supreme Court. So, um, you know, maybe some people are asking, like we just had the passing, passing of the great Ruth Bader Ginsburg. How is the Supreme Court doing anything lacking one judge? Um, but this is basically them 
uh, kind of, you know, somebody knocked on the door and they said, hey, Major League Baseball was like, hey, can you take this appeal? Because we don't think that they should have the right to have class action certification. And you don't need nine judges to close the door on someone, right? To close the door on one of those like Christmas carolers, right? That are yep. things. Yep. You just, you just need one. So they kind of talked about it collectively and uh, they knocked it down. So yeah, we're not, we're not talking about the substance of this lawsuit. We're not talking about how much players should get paid. Right. And we'll, I'm sure you and I will get into it. This uh, save, uh, you know, save the pastime, uh, save baseball's pastime or save America's pastime act. Um, we're just talking about a really technical issue, but one that's really important uh, to the case and how big this thing could be. So, yeah, I mean, and the other thing that the, we were discussing before was the ripple effect that this potentially could have from the business side. Right. So now all of a sudden it's a slippery slope. The players could win this lawsuit. And the, the pay goes up. And MLB has already been talking about contraction of minor league baseball teams. And all of a sudden, and you have new pay standards where baseball historically has had significant amount of teams and leagues and, and players. Do you see this affecting the, the amount of minor league players that will actually be in the system moving forward, which could then obviously have a complete turnaround of what the product on the field looks like? So you're going to laugh. I mean, you and Rob, uh, you know, we, we all spoke offline beforehand. And uh, as a question I put in my little pat to ask Garrett was to say, you know, what you guys are doing in theory, right, this might have caused 40 minor league teams to be retracted um, because there's just, maybe it's COVID, right? Maybe it's this lawsuit, but it's one of the two. It's hard to argue. I mean, so uh, I phrased it to Garrett, who's the lead attorney in the case, is, um, you know, do you think what do you think is better a world where there are more minor league jobs or there are less minor league jobs, but those, you know, those few are paid more. Uh, what do you think is better? So he said that, that, uh, he goes, that's not necessarily a fair question, which you know, it might, might be. Yeah, it might be a fair question after there's a ripple. Question. Yeah. I mean, so to, to ripple effect, I mean, you lose 40 teams. So what does that do? Let's say he wins on this lawsuit, which I think baseball will, we'll talk about this, you know, say baseball's pastime act, like, Save America's pastime act. Like, their baseball has spent a ton of money defending this. Like, uh, we'll, we'll, we can get into it now. Like, they've spent you know maybe millions of dollars in lobbying efforts to have the the federal government pass a law that excludes and attempts to exclude minor league players from the Fair Labor and Safety Act. Um, and they've spent a lot of money appealing this to the Ninth Circuit and to the Supreme Court. So they're clearly very worried that they have to pay their minor leaguers uh, minimum wage. So we talked about it, and there's if you just did the math, right? If you paid every minor leaguer under the old system, you know, when they had the 40 teams, you paid every minor leaguer minimum wage. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I think it's the athletic that put this, these numbers together. But I think it's somewhere between five and ten million dollars per team, um, which you know it's a lot of money. But like for a baseball team, like I don't know, that's like one bad contract that they give away every year. Like yeah, you know, <laughs> barely. Right, like it's not that. I I know team teams give away a lot of money and. Uh, you know, maybe that's even like one arbitration eligible player that like doesn't, that gets hurt. Big, big deal. So they're spending a lot of money to, to really, you know, to, to not have this happen. So I, I think there could be bigger ripple effects than we even realize. I don't, I guess, it, I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. It doesn't seem to be about the money for baseball. I'm just reading it. Uh, you can read it whatever way you want. But if it's some type of principle, right, and there's some type of dollars and cents level that this is going to hurt the minor league teams, right, and this is coming out of the minor league pocket, Six million dollars is really going to hurt minor league teams much more than it's going to hurt major league teams. 
So maybe that's what it is, but this could have tremendous ripple effects because baseball, right? They baseball can pull the plug on the minor leagues, right? They don't have to have a minor league system they right. for the the quality of the game. So I, you know, I don't I don't want to wish ill upon anything, but you know, something's something's got to give somewhere. It looks like baseball has, uh, you know, maybe no coincidence pulled the the minor leagues out forty teams to to try to lessen that blow. So one of the things I always was curious about, given the fact that Major League Baseball um, has one of the most powerful players unions in, the, in one of the per- most powerful unions in the country, right? The MLBPA is considered an extremely strong union. What has prevented, because I know other minor league systems have unions, what has prevented the minor league players from being able to form a union to kind of counteract this this pay problem to begin with and quality of life and and housing and all the things that they deal with? Like, why hasn't that ever been able to be constructed. Like I know forming a union is not overnight and simple, but you'd think based on a lot of the guys who have gone through that system that end up in a major league baseball, there seems to be like a big disconnect in terms of correlation there. Yeah. So I, I think there's a number of sports that you can, uh, you can kind of have this argument. It's probably the same reason every time, uh, like professional wrestling doesn't have a union very famously because those wrestlers are you know, paid very little. There's, they're taking a lot of risk, a lot of head injuries, independent contractors, right? That's the way they yeah. get around it. Yeah. But I mean, if you wanted to start a union, right, like all you needed to do is have a couple people band together and see what comes of it. Um, why you wouldn't start a union as a minor league player, um, you, you want to make it to the major someday, right? So it's it's a kind of double-edged sword. A union would help minor league players forever, right? It, it, you know, we're hitting our 50th year since the Kirk Flood case. So that was 1970. And you know, major league salaries have gone up exponentially. Like I was, I was talking to someone like George Brett was the highest paid player uh, for the Royals. He was paid like a hundred grand in like the eighties. A hundred grand is like peanuts nowadays. Like that's like a, a fraction of what the minimum major league guys get. But like on a dollarized level, on an inflation level, minor leaguers are pretty, pretty much making the same amount. Obviously the bonuses have gone up, but minor leaguers are still pretty, pretty much making the same money. Um, so, you know, someone's got to step up at some point and put their foot down and say, you know what, maybe this isn't going to be the best for me right now if I try to start a union, but it'll be best for the guys behind me. But the minor league ecosystem is so weak, right? You could have a guy toil around, even like Garrett Brocious, who's the attorney and had to go to law school because he couldn't, you know, make his way as a, a minor leaguer. He couldn't make the major leagues. He had to switch careers. So, you know, if, if you're going to be the guy that chooses to fight against major league baseball, right? You're going to be a union rep before you're even in the majors, before you've cashed in. Like Max Scherzer is one of these main union reps. Max Scherzer is a multi, multi-millionaire. He's not really worried about it, right? Someone's going to pay Max Scherzer. But right. if you're a fledgling 10th round pick, um, if you're the minor league union member, maybe you don't get to the majors, right? So it's it's definitely a tough battle. And that's the same reason why there is no union in, in wrestling, because you know, Vince McMahon gets to control if you get a push, right? It's even less on merit than it is in baseball. If you have a 1.0 ERA and the minors, like, okay, you're going to get to the majors. It's just a matter of time. Um, but Vince McMahon controls the storylines in, uh, in WWE. So if you're starting a union, right, like you're not going to get the push in wrestling. So definitely a tough issue. And it, and it works in every walk of life. If you're started starting a union in life, you're not going to, you know, maybe you're, you're worried that you're not going to be advanced in your career. So that's a lot of the reasoning, um, you know, I hate to say it, but that that's definitely playing a factor. And in terms of the next steps for this, this case, uh, obviously that was a big win for the players in terms of being able to move forward with a class action lawsuit. Now is Garrett's next steps to continue to, to 
corral plaintiffs and have more people jump on board or where, where they go next from here? Is it eventually going to hit the court and someone's going to hear this out and decide whether or not they're underpaid? So hypothetically, if you would have asked me that question yesterday, which you did not, Chris, because we, we did not know, just, we, we, can, we can talk behind baseball. Players. We recorded a lovely podcast. We had some great sound bites. Um, and we'll just say something happened. Maybe we'll leave it as a yeah, technical issues happen regularly around here. It's no big deal. That's the life of a well, podcast. Did you, I'm sure you're yeah. finding out. I am 100% finding that out. Um, and I also make myself sound a lot smarter post edits, which I'm sure you guys do too. Um, yeah, so if you would ask me that yesterday, I would have had a different answer, but I had the luxury of speaking to Garrett last night. And Garrett is, uh, he actually gave a very interesting answer. So in, in law, right, uh, the law is a business as much as it is we're doing this for what's right, we're standing up for everything. Um, you have some cases that make a lot of money, right? You're going to take some cases in that, that are going to be very lucrative. And others are maybe to make a name for the firm, but also to stand up for what's right. This is going to be a very high profile case. Garrett um, did not, you know, and I don't think I'm saying anything offensive. Garrett didn't make a name for himself as a minor leaguer, but as an attorney, he is definitely pushing the envelope with Major League Baseball. Since this lawsuit was filed, right, 40 Major League teams were retracted. And uh, Save America's Pastime Act was this legislation to try to create a federal law to derail the case. So Garrett is causing a lot of waves. And I think his law firm is, is being built a lot on that platform, being known as a, as a firm that's going to fight for minor league rights. So 2,300 people um, are now, now, know what, now know who Garrett Roach is, and obviously many more across the country. So I think this is destined to see a courtroom. Um, if you asked me this yesterday, I would think that they were trying to angle for settlement. But I asked the source, I went right to Garrett. And Garrett goes, you know, this is destined to see a courtroom. They really want to fight this. They, they, they do not want this to be like the NFL concussion settlement, which is kind of settled and went away. Even Colin Kaepernick, you know, that case settled. It went away. It never saw a courtroom. So Garrett, who uh, lived on the buses, right, he lived on those minor league buses, he wants to change this. He wants to fight Major League Baseball. So um, I don't think this is going to get resolved anytime soon. But, uh, you know, it's going to obviously start moving more to discovery. Garrett says there's a couple more depositions. And then they're going to, uh, you know, have the first fight at the trial court. And if what we've seen over the past couple of years is any indication, baseball is going to fight this thing tooth and nail. And, and uh, you know, who knows? Maybe this gets really all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. You cannot rule this out at that point. Yeah, I mean, is baseball, would baseball have to be worried about the antitrust at that point, given like obviously that's the one thing, huge thing that sports leagues and always are hanging their hat on is the antitrust. Do they have, a, do they have anything to, that would affect this with this case? Yeah, so, so my understanding is that baseball has an antitrust exemption. And then the other sports, um, they have like a, we'll say like a quasi antitrust exemption. It's a little complicated, but like there's a rule that if you create a union and the union agrees to something that is normally violative of antitrust law, you can get around antitrust law. So it's kind of an antitrust exemption, but like it's kind of a workaround through the unions. Um, but baseball doesn't have to work around the unions. They literally have in in like in the law an antitrust exemption, which um, I think they should be worried about. I, I don't understand why baseball like let's not kid ourselves, Chris. You and I love baseball. Baseball is not the most popular sport in the country. It's not the highest revenue generating sport in the entire country. Um, but for baseball to stand alone. Uh, and have this antitrust exemption, maybe they should be a little bit worried about it. Um, but in, in principle, you know, as long as you get the union to agree to something, uh, you, don't, you don't really have to worry about it. The problem for baseball, for purposes of this argument right here, is that the minors are not part of the union. You cannot work around the, you know, the union to, to do something that's normally violative of antitrust law. So 
uh, yeah, I think they should be worried about it. I think everything and anything and everything is going to come under the sun and uh, get that close judicial scrutiny um, that maybe doesn't, maybe baseball isn't deserving of it anymore. I know it's, it's been challenged and people have uh, kind of scoffed at it for years. So uh, who knows? Baseball is not the same place uh, in our country as it was, you know, let's say, say 30 years ago or 40 years ago, baseball and, uh, you know, has been caught up by football and, and even basketball. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, that's definitely something that's going to come under review. Dan, as always, I am now smarter for having listened to you for 20 minutes. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and enlightening not just me, but the listeners and shedding some light on what's probably going to be considered a landmark case, which will probably also, like we talked about the ripple effect, will have some impact on people listening to this looking for jobs. I mean, if, if, if teams are eliminated and contracted, that affects the amount of opportunity for folks out there to land their gigs. So this has been definitely enlightening, and I can't wait to see where this goes. And I'm sure we'll have you on as our fourth time and fourth fourth guest. But everyone should absolutely go subscribe to Conduct Detrimental, the sports law podcast with Dan Wallach and Dan Lust. Specifically, if you want to hear more about this, you can follow, you can listen to the, the episode he had last night with Garrett Brocious. And for one of the best follows on Twitter, and I'm not just saying that, Sports Law Lust, uh, I found a lot of sports business information by following you. So Kudos to you, my friend, and keep up the good work. And thank you again for coming on. Uh, no problem at all. And I technically I the fourth time. <laughs> it's yeah, technically it's the fourth fine. time. You know, uh, just a quick shout out. I'm at Sports Law Lust on Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, you know, even something like the Tyrod Taylor uh, medical malpractice, this punctured lung. Oh god, uh, we're it's we're unbelievable. Part of that as well. Yeah. So uh, anything sports, anytime you think of the law and sports, Dan and I try to be on top of it. So. Uh, we basically, uh, we'll say we're like the legal versions of Rob and Chris, except less funny. I don't know. That's, that's me. Rob and I are unintentionally funny. So I guess we'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, Chris, all good. I'm happy to come on anytime. And anyone is free to DM me if you have any questions, need career advice. Uh, I am very passionate about uh, helping people out. So definitely hit me up. Thanks, Dan. Have a great night. You got it. So I found Dan's interview very educational, right? Like, as the always, way, the way, yeah, as always, um, it makes us sound smart. Yeah, talk, you talk to smart people, you actually become smarter. I wish we, you would have, I wish you would have thought of that before engaging in front office features a year ago. <laughs> uh, uh, don't you regret that? But I found that what he was talking about, you know, this could change the game, right? Like, you know, with what's going on with minor league baseball and major league baseball, and basically. There's gonna they're gonna be contracting. They already contracted the Appalachian League, um, and there's gonna be more coming. Like this whole pay structure, minor league baseball, major league baseball structure, it's gonna be like the live ball era and the dead ball era. It's gonna be whatever you know. It's gonna be pre 2020 and post 2020, and uh, the baseball in general as a business will change immensely. Hey, do you? Were you involved? It was I don't know if you were working in the state that happened when it was in the it hit the front office in a similar manner where we couldn't not pay our interns anymore. Yeah, right. And our game day staff and not even our game days, even our ticket sales folks had to be paid hourly because I forget who it was or which team got sued. It might have been the Redskin, uh, the Washington. Well, it was the Redskins at the time. Washington we're, football team were sued based on employees being like, "I'm working 60, 70 hours a week. I'm not." a director or a manager or anything, and I'm not getting paid as such. And eventually the courts ruled like, yeah, you have to pay these people. 
and it changed like how people did rotations with game night staff and like the requirements to be at the games. The cost went through the roof for the minor league teams. They, um, I remember in uh, Battle Creek in early Omaha, we'd pay guys like five hundred bucks a month or seven hundred and fifty bucks a month, and they would work a hundred hours a week, right? right? And they would be getting paid pennies. That was the gig. That's what you were told. That was like that was the business, right? That you was just, it, right? You're expected so you just, to pay your dues, and that's what you you figured out how to live. But the legal system did not agree. Yeah. So um, I definitely, yeah, we definitely went through that. There's also you could do like internships for college credit, so you could hide a bunch of free yep. people. Nope. Uh, not on not on the books. You can't do that anymore. We pay, uh, yeah, we pay our interns minimum wage. Yeah, we so same, same. Which in Massachusetts isn't is not seven fifty. It's I think it's like. It's gonna go to like fifteen bucks or something. Yeah. Yeah, in uh, Rhode Island, it's a uh, ten or eleven dollars, something like that. Which like 10, we act like is a lot. Which we act like is a lot of money, but it's still really no. Nothing. I mean, I, you know, I, I always say my first uh, Battle Creek, my job was um, sixteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah. And, and who knows how much that is per hour? I remember one of uh, my uh, buddies uh, did it, and it wasn't pretty. It was like I don't know, a dollar forty an hour or something like yeah. that. I know it, it's. How do we get involved in this class action lawsuit? Yeah, right. The, the, the minor league employer, uh, employees do it, but no matter what, like Dan's a big, big guy, right? He's got his uh, podcast uh, conduct detrimental. I'm having trouble saying that detrimental. Um, but he's got a new so job too. That. New job. New job, right? And uh, Garagos and Garagos. Uh, is that how you pronounce it? I think so. That's uh, fine. Anyway, close enough. And so he's like a big, he's a big deal. So he got his, uh, his podcast is doing great. Uh, and it's very entertaining. It's very interesting. So, uh, you know, he's, he's doing great and just appreciate him coming on. I, like I said, I found what he told us, uh, very educational, right? Like he, I learned something today. Hmm. Chalk it up. For sure. And, Ding. uh, a big shout out to our, our, uh, our, Intern extern, Washington Nationals extern, who got his first official Major League Baseball Michael email Scott. address, Michael Scott. Michael Scott. Michael Scott. At nationals.com. Yeah, right. That was awesome. That was awesome to, um, that was awesome to see. So um, it was good. It was good. And um, I'm glad that uh, Dan did it. I, you know, I wonder, you know, I think what's scary for me, at least with this whole baseball thing, is not only are they eliminating player jobs, Right, like going from 120 to 140, or 160 to 120, eliminating 40 teams. Um, you're also if each of those teams has 10 front office employees, you know, it's 400, 500, you know, maybe a thousand jobs. I know, right? It's so, like we can't afford to be losing any more jobs as it is right now. Like it's just right, and they're not coming back. Right, you know, unless the teams do like a a. You know, an independent league. They're talking about you know the. But then we we but we but like how do you how do you, so so say the players win. So this is this is the chicken and egg thing, right? The slippery slope. Say the players win their case. An independent league can't afford to pay the players those salaries. Oh, those I I I don't know. Like, what is? I don't know what independent league guys. You know, Long Island Ducks or you know. uh, Not they make nothing, right? They make nothing. Yeah, I, 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 from my understanding, Major League Baseball and those like the Atlantic League, how a lot of those guys make money is 
they get a fee when a major league team wants to buy a minor league player, right? So they'll buy one of their guys, yeah, and then from they'll sign in from an independent league to a minor league team, and there's a fee associated with that, and that fee like pays the bills, right? I don't know if it's you know a significant five figure or six figure deal, but like it's not nothing. Yeah, so but the minor, the independent league teams aren't generating enough revenue to pay the players what they're looking to make. Therefore, it's going to have a ripple effect again, and these teams can't even go out and form an independent league because they'll never generate the revenue needed. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I always say this. Like, to put it in perspective, we talk about revenue, right? Like, minor league baseball teams are $10 million businesses. $15 million businesses, right? That's probably, yeah, that's probably, if the that's, Reds, at the tri- that's probably the AAA level, right? Right, right. So that's probably AAA. So there's, you know, $5 million businesses, $4 million businesses. Like this is, we're not talking that we're giant numbers, right? Red Sox are. And it's expensive to run the team. It's very costly for travel, everything you need, maintenance, stadium, leases. Like it's not cheap. No, and was it Boston Business Journal? They just said the Red Sox without we lost, playing. We we lo- without having fans, we lost three hundred and thirty-seven million dollars in revenue between ticket sales, concessions. The number one team was the Yankees. They were over f- almost almost five hundred million dollars. Five hundred million. So that's like and t- and ticket sales and such. So it's just like you know you're talking about a billion dollar business compared in a minor league team being a single you know a few million dollar businesses to you know probably the biggest ones do 20 right like the biggest ones do 20 right that you know you're talking about and that's probably 15, that's few and far between few and far between 15x compared to what a major league team just did in ticket revenue we're not even talking about sponsorships or, i mean i could tell you this we in or, albany and in lowell we never we were never in the black but we were owned by the nhl team so it wasn't about that it was about and we were and we were lean we were as lean as you could be and weren't out there expending expenditures we had an amazing lease deal and we were still in the red because of how much it costs to run the team yeah it costs a ton and there's you know you sell the tickets for six bucks i always say they're like uh, you know people see like a big title of a minor league guy and i was like look man i don't get rich selling six dollar tickets (laughs) right (laughs) it's true it's like the revenue doesn't equate to the expense um, from a business perspective if you're looking at it from holistically, so like, how do you now pay the players? It's just going to be the. It's going to be. There's going to be contraction. I mean, there's no way around it. There's going to be contraction if they win. That's. It's this weird. They're gonna. They're gonna bite the bullet to help out their brethren, but they're gonna be punished, and so are the employees on the back end because of it. It's just. There's no. There's no way around that. Right. One of the things that I've learned too, kind of in a different, uh, different point on with Dan. And I also kind of go back to our Sam Kennedy interview from, you know, what, that was probably six months ago? Um, yeah, it was around then, yeah. So is, and one thing that I have not learned enough about, or especially when I was in college, uh, law, right? Like, not only just sports law, but like introductory to law, contract law, uh, those types of things. Man, if I was in college right now and I could go back, I would take as many freaking law classes as I could. Because think about it. Yeah. Nearly every part of your life has some sort of legal document from buying a car 
to having a uh, house, uh, to having an apartment lease, like everything has some sort of legal document to it. And like, I knew nothing about it. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel like I've gotten way more educated because of the stuff that I was doing early in my career. And then also through the sponsorship side of stuff, like always dealing with contracts. And then when it really took off my knowledge of law and understanding was at DraftKings. Um, every day was just dealing with something legal and government and understanding and navigating those pitfalls of state by state laws and regulations and contracts. And um, I think this year was a crash course for a lot of folks with contract, right? With force me, majeure. Me, right? Like, like I, what no, does it say? The ones. I bet, I bet, by the way, in Pawtucket, 50% of the contracts never were signed. It was just oh like, God. yeah, we're, we're good. Just do it. It's fine. Back of the back of the napkin, handshake, handshake see you later. It's good. Just bill me. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely a situation where I think a lot of people became much more attuned to law and legal and that force majeure contract that no one ever reads. But I, I completely agree with you for younger folks to understand and have a good understanding of tort law, um, liability, negligence, how that all works and, and have be able to have a coherent, educated discussion around it will take you places that you probably couldn't imagine and also make you much more tuned to whatever you're doing, whether it be negotiating or executing something on someone's behalf. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. That's what definitely one of, um, you know, I try to do it, but it's also like, you know, Sam said it. He's like, you got to know the agreements. And he goes, and sales guys, they just kind of skim over that stuff. He, like, put a dagger in my heart because it's, like, <laughs> so me. It's like, I don't know. Just let, let's figure it out, right? And uh, Yeah, no, I, 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 I mentally am with you there that it sometimes feels like a hindrance and you don't want to even deal with it, right? Like, you're just like, I, I don't – like, we agree to this. Why do we need to go through all this minutia? Yeah. But you do. You do. Uh, you do. Uh, and it, <laughs> It matters. It does matter. I, I, that's probably a problem with part of a job that I don't like. I just like, just don't like it. But yeah, you got to do it. You got to. Mine's more on the. I, I, I find accounting to be just mind numbing. Like I, I, I find law fascinating. Like I would have been fine going to law school. I think I would have enjoyed law school. I couldn't get through an accounting class without like half closing my eyes. Yeah. I, I just. It was just. It was brutal. Same, but that's. I think that has more of uh, my uh, mental capacity than anything. Right? <laughs> just, there's a capacity issue uh, there. So, all right, Dan was great. Take more law classes. All right, so I want to switch subjects a little bit. Yes, Can I switch subjects a little bit. Let's switch. All right, I want your opinion on this. I haven't told you about any of this. Nope. I want your opinion on this. I got an interesting LinkedIn message. Before before you ask me that question, before you ask me that question, yep. we are going to count on restaurants because they're oh, counting on Oh, that's you. right. We got to count on our restaurants. While their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. Great segue. Do Great segue. You, you were smooth <laughs> as silk. This is, this is what we call. Thing and you're like, no, nope, we got an ad read. We got to get it done. <laughs> this is called well, checking the box, folks. We got to check this box before we actually get into work on it. DoorDash. <laughs> I ordered DoorDash this weekend. Last week. 
you did last weekend. McDonald's, round eggs. DoorDash is the app that brings you. It wasn't from McDonald's. F- it was uh, Spumoni's <laughs> in Pawtucket. Food you're craving right to your door. Order in is easy. Open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory, Rob's favorite restaurant. Many of your local favorite restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners, you guys and gals, get $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order the, of 15 no delivery fees is gigantic those could be like 10 bucks yeah no they're, they're yeah they, they they go high so zero free on delivery fees huge. huge massive when you download the doordash app enter the code i'm sure you can all guess it by now blue wire that's five dollars off your and zero five dollars off your they forgot a word your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store, <laughs> they got their money's worth on this. <laughs> in the I App just like Store, you're tongue tied. And enter the code Blue Wire. Don't forget that's code Blue Claude. Wire. <laughs> Claude like Julian, like a uh, hockey coach. Claude Julian uh, Blue Wire for five dollars off your first order with DoorDash. Um, yeah, so now just that we're done, some... so we're done with the ad read, right? <laughs> we are done with the All ad right, read. So next, for me, you said Wendy's, right? Yes. Right. For me, it's Chick-fil-A, then Wendy's, then McDonald's, Burger King's way less. Chick-fil-A by a mile. By a mile, okay. Wendy's, way better than uh, McDonald's, except for breakfast. McDonald's, I would say, if you ranked them by breakfast, I got to throw Taco Bell in there, too. Uh (laughs) But it's Chick-fil-A I've never had Taco by Bell a mile. In my life. Chick-fil-A by Bell a mile. <sighs> if I throw Taco Bell in there, this might throw my thing off a little bit. Like Taco Bell, Wendy's, if they're next to each other, I'm mind blown. I'm mind, I'm mind effed. I want to go to both. Um, What's your Wendy's order? A spicy chicken sandwich, number okay. six. Uh, I think it's a number six. But anyway, spicy chicken sandwich meal. That's what I go. So you're going... Chick-fil-A by Wendy's, a mile. Wendy's slash and I, Taco and I, Bell. And I'm not going to lie to you. I hated Chick-fil-A for the beginning because I associated them with the South, and I hate the South so much yep, yep, that yep. I associated with the South, and I was like, I hate Chick-fil-A. They're the Southern uh, Southerners, <laughs> Alabama, right? <laughs> and then it's like, no, go in there, and they're like the nicest human beings, and the food is fantastic. Uh, and so it's Chick-fil-A for me. I've done a 180 on this in my life by a mile. Their Wendy's food quality, Taco Bell. Their Wendy's, food quality is the best. It is the best. Wendy's Taco Bell. Oop. Wendy's Taco Bell, McDonald's, Burger King. Also, I would say throw it like way low. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the last time I've eaten Burger King. I it stinks. A McDonald's breakfast is number one. McDonald's breakfast is the best round egg. It's it's not close. I I, don't, I haven't eaten a McDonald's hamburger or Big Mac or anything in a long time. Yeah. I've never I've never had Taco Bell. What? Wait, wait, wait. What? I've never had Taco Bell. In your life? In my life. You've never had Taco Bell in I have your not. life. This I have is not. insanity. This is I've... this is this is your version of me <laughs> never seeing the office. How the had... hell have you never eaten Taco Bell? I've never eaten Taco Bell. 
And I like ta- I love Mexican food. I like. Then tacos. what are you doing? Go to Taco Bell. Taco Bell's great. I don't know. I I I just I think it's that thing now. I just I don't know. I've never had it. Go to Taco Bell. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, you know what? You know what? It's ruined for me now. As later, like they now that they're like really associated with KFC. I'm like, I oh god, no. Like it's like Taco Who cares? Bell. KFC. It's Taco Bell. Taco Bell's great. Taco no, Bell no. is amazing. Never like had I said, it. it is right up there. Wendy's. If Wendy's and Taco Bell are next to each other, I don't know what to do. I, I would go. To, I would go to Wendy. I mean, I like. I like Wendy's. You've never and, been to Taco Bell, so how can you make this thing? Well, It'd be I'm like you, I'd, I'd me go to choosing Wendy's. the Office over Parks and Rec. I don't know. I've never seen either of them. But I've had Wendy's. I don't know. I how like can Wendy's. you not have Taco Bell? Like a Chalupa. The uh, tacos are. The uh, tacos are yeah, very good. I get, you get right, double decker taco. To, the hard will, taco it's and not, the soft I'm not taco. opposed to Taco Bell. I just. I don't know. It's, and they used to have these like potato things. Man, I used to crush. I crushed. I love Taco Bell. Never had it. This is. Uh, I I I'm I'm shocked. I'm appalled. I would say. I'm sorry. I'll go eat Taco Bell. I'll take a video of it and we'll put it. We'll post it. Please. You have to, you have, you have to tell me what to order though. I don't know. I wouldn't even know what to, where to start. Uh, we. You've got plenty of options, <laughs> and I've got faith that you can figure it out. We've given a lot of good ad reads for folks other than DoorDash. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if DoorDash delivers Taco Bell. I'm sure. Yeah, figure it out. Download the app. All right. This is. I can't believe you've never had Taco Bell. You never. Can't believe I've never seen The Office. That's How can more. You not egregious? have seen Taco Bell. No, it's no, no way. <laughs> no, no way. I've you must seen pass. A Taco Bell. I've seen <laughs> a Taco Bell. <laughs> you must pass 200 Taco Bells from where you live to. I don't even know if there's Fenway. one near. I don't even know where. I don't even know if there's one near me. I honestly don't. I don't you think I've seen. You live near a mall. There's got to be one. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. We'll we'll look it up later. I don't think there's a Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm, I'm there's a Chick Fil A. There is a Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. Look, if there's a Chick Fil A and Taco Bell next to each other, I'm going. I've been one, I've been to Chick Fil A once, by me. I've been to Chick-fil-A more than once in my life. Okay, here's the thing. I, I'm, about, I'm about to like lose my mind again. <laughs> so here's my thing on Chick-fil-A. I grew up with Chick-fil-A in my mall in New Jersey, like going there normally, like it was like no big deal. Yeah. So like I was like, oh yeah, it's good. Like I like Chick-fil-A. But yeah, then so when, there wasn't a wow factor. When there it was wasn't that like, that kind of stuff. It, was, it was in our mall food court my whole entire, it was always like that cow was like eat more chicken. Um, so I never was like, oh my god, it's Chick Fil A. Like I just always had it. So I like it. It's like I'm not denying it. It's probably the best out of all of them from a quality, and you feel good. You don't feel like crap after you eat it. Right. But I'm not. Well, like, people are very nice too. They train their people the best out of all of them. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason for that. But um, yeah, no, it's that would be my number one too. I think I, I I would say from a quality standpoint. But Taco Bell, I can't put on my list because I've never had it. Yeah, you've got me off the uh, my game. I have no. You idea don't want to go eat Taco Bell now, don't you? You want you want to go get Taco Bell just to spite me. <laughs> we should, you know, what would be funny to do is uh, I should bring you Taco Bell, and we should have like all this Taco Bell, and we should watch an episode of The Office in That's, like, your house. That we could would do be that. Funny. I just bought a projector for outside. We could sit outside and social oh, distance. Oh, there you go, social distance. Two hundred inch projection right up on the side of the house. We can we can go ahead and watch it. We can Perfect. watch Taco that, Bell. Your kids uh, will enjoy movies. That was at my house. They they would go outside and watch movies, and like I would, I don't know, go do something else. Yeah, I was gonna say you're not gonna be watching. <laughs> Daughter wanted to watch a movie with my wife. They I go always do something else. Anyway, back to back. You want to ask me no a question? Taco Bell. I, I did, and now I rethinking my entire 
strategy of life with you. Uh, anyway, um, so I don't want to. I'm about to read something, and I think your reaction is going to be. You're going to eviscerate them on this podcast. I'm not even going to say their name. Nope. Please okay? don't say their name. I'm not. I, in this reach out, see a lot of myself at like 19 years old. Okay. So I'm going to read this. Okay. And then we'll react. All right. Ready? This is going to be a, a LinkedIn message I got. Any sales roles with the Paw Sox? Question mark, question mark. Paw Sox not capitalized. Sales in sports, that would be a dream job, dot, dot, dot. And I would be the best, just like I was always the best when playing sports. And then I got <laughs> pictures of newspaper clips of them doing well in sports. Oh. That was the LinkedIn thing. Okay. All right, just give me, keep going, keep going. I see pulling your hat down. I haven't recorded this Zoom, but uh, so here's where I see myself in this, right? The reason I chose sports management was because I liked sports, right? And that was seemed like I can make a career out of this. Cool. Yep. yep. I was playing sports. I played three sports in high school and all that good stuff and yada yada yada. Oh, humble brag. Right. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. <laughs> uh, and so now it's like, okay, I understand what she's saying. Like, I am pumped about this. Like, her emotion is there. I am great at sports. I could sell things at sports. Like, this would be awesome. Right? That enthusiasm, I am all for. Yep. The approach... We need to work through. I think we need to talk about. It. So I mean, yeah, is this so the enthusiasm? This, I love approach. I really is hate. this person a high schooler still, or are they graduated or in college? No, they look like they've been out of college for a, a while. Like, okay, yep, nope. They are uh, mid thirties. I agree with you from the, 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 the reason you chose sports management at 16, 17 years old was your passion and love for sports because you were an athlete, yada, yada, yada. You're supposed to go to college and learn that's not the answer of why you actually want to continue down that path and work in this business, correct? Right. And you're also supposed to have enough networking calls with folks like ourselves or anybody else you talk to that's going to give you some feedback that that's not what we want to hear. We want to hear why you want to be in this business and what it is you want to accomplish in this business, not because you were really good at high school athletics. That doesn't really Right, because uh, this is the whole thing that we talk about is uh, when I read that, I read, yeah, I, this is a good job. This is a job that you would like. But, like, what value do you bring to me? I put a roof over my head on how well you would sell tickets or sponsorships or special events or concession, whatever that it is. Like, I'm glad that you think it would be fun, but like, this is a, this is a, this is a job. This is a grind. Like, what value do you bring to me? Why is that? Just because you could dribble a basketball or throw a baseball, that doesn't equate to. We talk anything. about that all the time. It doesn't just because you like something doesn't mean you're qualified to have that role or job, right? You need to provide specificity on 
how you are going to be really good at that said role. And yeah, being fun, is, that's probably low on my list of what I'm looking for from somebody who's applying to a to the role, right? Like, I'm glad that you think it's going to be fun, but that's all kind of a red flag, right? Like, are you coming here to work or are you coming here to have fun? <laughs> right. Like, coming here to work, <laughs> damn it, work's not fun. <laughs> that's, well, I, I can agree to that. Work is not fun. Um, so, but, and the, the thing is, the thing is, I'm looking through this person's profile. They've got like sales experience, right? It's like, how could you better way to say that? Is like, oh my I've, god, if you have right. sales experience and you've been anything successful in it, or you've done, if you sold anything, that's what you lead with. It's like, look, I've been in the tech industry where I've worked with XYZ type of clients, been able to hit my budgets and goals in full transparency. I'm not really in love with what I'm selling. I view myself more in this industry that you're in. Would love to connect to show to, to see if I can make that happen. Boom, done. See you later. Right? Like Right. I love the passion. The passion. I like I love that passion. Passion's great. Passion's great, but you've got to transform that passion into something tangible. Beyond something I was a value. high school athlete. Yeah, beyond that I was a high school athlete or I played Little League or Pop Warner. That doesn't make you qualified for anything. Other than you can tell glory day stories at the bar with your friends when you're catching up. Like, that's what it qualifies you for. Not a job. Uh, my Pop Warner A-team, I think it was. the Like the eighth grade one. Scored one touchdown all year long. Yeah, so you're not qualified to work in sports then, based not. on that. One touchdown all year long. It was on a reverse. Was it Jackie Tipton? It was not Jackie Tipton. This was when I was in Burlington. Uh, and my best friend and best man in my wedding and uh, godfather to Maddie. Uh, scored on the re- the re- it was a reverse one a reverse touchdown, a re- one touchdown all year long. You we guys were. couldn't run a dive and you ran a reverse for a touchdown. <laughs> I was the quarterback, and I would get I would dives right. You like just give it to dive the forward. fullback, and he yep. just runs next to the center. Multiple times, I would turn around and hand the ball. And the defensive lineman would get it and run it for a touchdown before the fullback would touch it, right? So I'd have it, and then the defensive lineman would take it and then run that way. So and you guys I, had the Giants O line, good, oh, good. That's we, that's not good. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. <laughs> one so, touchdown. One touchdown. But you pulled off the line. reverse. Did you guys do like the little Giants when you scored, like go crazy in the end zone? Yeah, like, I actually got hurt that game. I remember because I just would get like beaten up from. Uh, from that, and uh, so like there was some other guy in, and they like toss, toss, reverse, reverse. The annexation of like Puerto Rico. Somewhere. So, yeah. anyway, yeah. one touchdown. Well, uh, yeah, I I would say for all you folks reaching out to anybody in this business, first of all, just come with a way more clear, concise value add that you're going to bring of why that person should get on the phone with you to discuss you join the organization. I mean, it's it just. It boils down to common sense at some point. <laughs> like, if you think when you're applying for a role that your high school athletic ability is going to translate into you being able to fulfill a job, I don't. I mean, <laughs> change. You know, adjust your passion to something tangible, right? The passion, yeah. the pa- the passion will be there, right? If you have a passion for, you know, baseball, football, hockey, soccer, like it. You can't change that, right? That's your passion, right? Let me let me ask like so if you're applying to a pharma company, would you mention you were on the science team in high school? 
<laughs> like I just, I'm just like curious. Like, would that be like? In I have a passion for drugs. <laughs> like, would you? Like, like, you are you like gonna clip someone gonna clip that out and just like play it and be like, I you can't hire this guy or you can't have this guy. You just yelled, I have a passion for drugs. On right? Like, when would you ever, 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 unless you were an entrepreneur in high school and you started a business and that's what you're like talking about of like showing your ability to be something like that? Would you ever bring up? Your high school life as a reason for your qualifications for a job. <laughs> you put it like that, now it sounds stupid. That's what I'm saying. Just use some common sense. Like, oh, yeah, I was on the debate team. So, you know, um, I should probably be the a judge. Lawyer. Like, like <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. They... Uh, so anyway, I, I don't know. It's the it's like wearing your varsity jacket. People you talk about like wearing your varsity jacket to college. Like, oh, I hated those kids. Right. So now, why are you telling me as a business like what you did in high school? Like, we don't care. Right. Like, if, by the way, if a kid was when I was in college, if a kid was walking around with their high school anything, like, we're, I just like we're not gonna be friends. Like, your your vibe yeah, is like, not my vibe. No, like, who cares? High school's over. Congratulations. Move on. Right. 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 Oh, God. Do you still have any of your three varsity jackets there? Uh? No, because I traveled so much, right? So, like, I play, you know, so no. No one wants to hear about my high school sports stuff because I moved in the middle of my sophomore year uh, to move I don't to think I, I don't think my parents kept mine either. I don't think they have my then varsity I moved jacket. back in the middle of my senior year. And in Alabama, you're not allowed to play sports there for a year once you move down there. So, like... What? Yeah. They have like an NCAA rule in high school down there? Yeah, because all the like the great athletes oh, would football, transfer yeah. back and forth, or, you know, football or basketball or even baseball, softball, it doesn't matter. Right? So like they would just move schools just so that they could play or be you know, more likely to play. So it's uh and it was like so my mom she went all the way to the highest level of the Alabama thing to talk like the executive director of Alabama high school athletics and give my mom total credit for this. And the person said, like, hey, my son is moving because of our job from Massachusetts. Has nothing to do with athletics. It has everything to do with, like, my husband, you know, my dad got a new job in Alabama and we just need to do this. And so their compromise was to let me practice. Oh, So I was able to practice with the team, but I uh, wasn't able to play any games stand here tackling dummy we're gonna hit you real hard yeah. so i only did baseball when i was down there yeah i can't imagine you'd be good enough to play football in alabama no those guys were like monsters like, yeah they had two, one kid on i remember they were a year older than us or two years older than us one kid went to alabama and one kid went to yeah you don't uh, want to play football Auburn, with them right you don't want to play football they were with like, those guys they, so like they were men they yeah, were men right and i was i was not <laughs> I was not. I always say I wasn't an athlete. I was a baseball player. <laughs> that's yeah. There's you well, can't. That, it's that's hard. an old Kevin Millar line. It's right? hard we're to get athletes. hurt. We're not athletes. We're baseball players. Hard to get hurt on a baseball field because you're inferior of an athlete. Yeah, I said that my only athletic ability I think is I can throw things. So I was like the quarterback, pitcher, right? So yep, yeah. That's my only athletic talent. Far from an athlete. Far from it. Just a gangly guy. Speaking of speaking of sports. I think we have one more check the box that you needed to do. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's at the end, right? So is this the end? No, it's a mid-roll. Oh, All it's right. post-roll. Oh, is this, oh it's, it's post I don't know. You're right. I'm wrong. 
All right. Compo- so we'll do this at the end. But are we at the end? We're at the end. I think we're at the end, yeah. All right, we'll be at the end. Um, oh, no, one more thing before we go to the to the end. Um, uh, Amber Hudson, um, she was great. She was our interview this week. You know, we got a lot of feedback uh, over the last, I'd say, few months saying, like, yeah, you guys talk to a lot of great people, but, like, they're seniors in their senior in their career, right? They're vice presidents, they're, you know, they're president, you know, presidents, they're CEOs, they're directors, right? They're, you know, mid to late career guys and gals. Uh, so it was like, we want to talk to someone who just did this, right? Like talk to someone who just walked in, right? I can relate more to that because that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, so we heard you kind of loud and clear. I found Amber, uh, I was going through our followers on, uh, LinkedIn and I saw her and I was like, she has an interesting story. And I just messaged her and that's how this happened. I have to, I have that on my, uh, I downloaded it. I got to listen to it. Yeah, no, it's, um. I do agree, though. I think it's we have this we had this discussion regularly about our our FSMU that we're running. We've got to get someone on it from FSMU. You mean like like someone who's attending? No, like the guy who's running it. I think our listeners would find that interesting. Oh, okay, Teddy. Um, Teddy, I love Teddy. So I brought this up to the general consensus of FSMU committee that we're on saying we need to not just have these senior level people talking to these college kids because it just seems so far away, right? It's not attainable. Like, oh, great, I'm talking to the chief revenue officer of Harris Blitzer. It's good to hear those folks, of course, and like hear their career paths. But let me hear someone who's like three years into their career who's struggling or doing well and figuring out how to navigate this crazy business that I can actually be like, oh, okay, this is attainable. This is something I can get to within the next couple of years. I, I totally agree. I think we should probably look at more young folks and maybe dip into some of my and your former either employees or colleagues. Um, I Oh, before we go, I have a, I have a, I have a question. Shoot. What's your, what's your thought on consultants in our business? Consultants? You know, when people get hot, I'm not going to name names because I'm not going to specify anybody, but bringing in folks to talk to your staff to train. Trainings, I think the uh, sales trainings can be beneficial no matter what. It makes you look at something differently, but it's going to be the sales manager's role to implement anything, any changes, right? I think it's good to go look at something different. That's a different question, I think, from a sales training side of it than from a consultant side of it. So I have two different answers. Well, I'm saying... <clears throat> they're not they're not inexpensive to hire right to bring in and i also a lot of them have either never done it or haven't been in the business for a while i was thinking i because i completely agree hearing from someone else's voice other than your than your manager is key right to, to give a different perspective why don't we as an industry do a better job of just like trading off at that level like be like, all right, I'm the CRO of XYZ team and you're the CRO. You and I are going to just trade for like three days and go spend time with that team and That's talk about idea. how we do things. You save exponential amount of money, right? You're not paying anybody else to come in. You're just trading off time for each like hotel yep. rooms that they have to. Yep. Fl- and you're fl- hearing from someone who's get a hotel room, right? That's her- your cost. Well, not even that. Like you just because you're going to fly to their team. They're going to fly to your team, right? Like, boom, there's the cost. You, yeah, you right. guys both have cost. 
it doesn't cost of twenty thousand dollars for three days. You're paying for it, and then someone who's actually currently doing it in the grind every day with you, different perspective, different market, all that different things that you can ask questions versus someone who comes in, hasn't been doing it for twenty years, and leaves, and leaves. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. I think that's a very uh, valid criticism. I like the part of the training. I mean, we, in all honesty, in the minor leagues, to have a trainer come down, there's no freaking way. I've piggybacked on some of the Fenway ones um, maybe two or three times. Yeah, um, I know. You, I, uh, yeah. Hmm. yeah. It's kind right. of what I'm... So, like, <clears throat> I like the different perspective. I don't... But, like, why wouldn't you... Why Why wouldn't one of us come down to Worcester or Pawtucket? Right. I... I also think that it makes, <clears throat> in my opinion, I think the trainings are more important on the ticket side than on the corporate partnerships. Oh side. yeah, yeah, yeah. You yes. know, does that does that make sense? Oh, so, like, definitely. Because the ticket salesperson is more likely like right out of college or first job. Right. I also think the transactional nature is different than in corporate partnerships. Though in corporate partnerships, like at some point, someone's going to be trained on like how to. Not trained, I'd say, but like you're gonna have to talk about how to ask for the sale, right? Like you may negotiation ask, negotiations are very different, right? Because there's no negotiating ticket sales. Yeah, it's, it, it's either take this or I'll find somebody else, right? Or I won't, right? It's, it's one of the two. There's much more strategy from a corporate sale in terms of deciding whether or not the best deal is on the table, or else could you, are you leaving money on the table by not going out? There's a very different dynamic. I completely yeah. agree with that. But I like why isn't there just like a network? that we form as an industry, we're such a small industry to begin with. Everybody knows everybody, right? Yeah. Of like trading each other off to go have these conversations with each other's staffs from a training perspective to hear different perspectives of different people who are currently successfully doing the job, but it's not going to cost my organization $25,000 to put someone here to have those conversations. Like, So minor league baseball did a very good job of this called the, uh, it was called the, um, promo seminar and then the innovator summit and they would basically like talk through all these different problems here's what we're doing here's what some of the things that we do i hear i don't know this you might be able to know this better like the ahl they like oh, AH share everything everything right? AHL, minor league baseball i would love for them to do that i think the g league does the same thing they, well i'm sure the g league does because the team so ahl adopted team bow because nba teams lake erie and Eagle Gary was owned by the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I think there's another team. So they got the AHL to buy into Teambo. So every single piece of data was shared. I could go into everything and see everybody's revenue, ticket sales, after every game, every night. And you'd be able to be like, oh, I saw so-and-so in a like market like mine did so many tickets last night. Call them up like, what's up? What did you do? And they'd share that information because it was right there in front of me. Oh, yeah. because yeah, you don't compete – Ever. You, I mean, yeah, you don't compete for business. You compete on the field or on the ice. Barely. Or whatever, but Barely. <laughs> right. You have no control over that, right? Yeah. No, no Teambo, I, I, I find it shocking that baseball and minor league baseball don't do it. Yeah, the Teambo model is the way to go, man. They've got some of the smartest, greatest people in, in Teambo. That Teambo is and then the a couple AHL minor league meetings. guys in there, too. We talked to one. You know, John Bishop. Yeah, no, it's a, it's... 
it, Teambo is a wealth of knowledge and information for everyone to have at their fingertips to make the league better, which re- drives revenue for everybody. That's just, right. that's what it is. Right. The thing about consultants, I, you know, I always question them is like, they come in, like how invested are they in your success? Right. Like, I don't know. Well, I, I think suggest if you I do think... this, great. If not, then uh, go pounce in. Right. Like I think, it, well, there's a, di- I think there's a difference between, so I guess I said, there's a difference between consultants and trainees. Trainers, right? I, I I I agree. So like consultants, you're not sitting down with the entry level folks. You're sitting down with the high level folks. Yeah, like you're it's kind of more down of a strategic with, discussion. Yeah, you're sitting down with the owners and saying like, hey, this is. Did you think about ever doing it this way? Or like, you're not sitting down with like the entry level ticket salesperson as a consultant. Most likely, the trainers come in and like put their dog and pony show together and say, oh, this is how you're gonna make the calls and let's role play and do all that fun jazz. It's like. Okay, fine. Like I get there's value there at some extent. But why not have the Portland Sea Dog person come down and talk to your staff versus pay $20,000? Sometimes I think people are too proud. Of what? Like I do it the best way. What the like you know Oh my god, you're crazy. If you're a sales manager and you're not willing to let someone else talk to your staff, you're insane first of all because if at least the person will come down and hopefully reiterate what you've been telling them. Yeah, right. It's like your parents, right? Your parents tell you like, duh, 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 and then finally someone else comes and says the exact same thing. Go, okay, I get it now. Yeah, I get it. No, I, I, you have to let someone else into your staff. I agree. That's like that's a that's a imperative. Like it just. And by the way, as a sales manager, you might hear something and be like, "Ooh, I like that," and pick up on it too. Like that's. It's how, you, about, how you learn. It's how you learn and get better. All right. All right, we've got that's a long uh, one. We're, we're, we gave people their money's worth for one hundred and one. We're going over an hour. It's 102, I guess, because, hey, Amber. Well, that's correct. Sorry. 102. 102. 102. All right. Uh, before we go, we got to uh, bet online. And the wait is finally over. Football is back. Steelers will be back, too. Uh, you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get every possible chance to win the season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, uh, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Uh, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Chris, we did good today. That was a fun one. I uh, appreciate uh, Dan Lust. So after you uh, listen to us, uh, go download Conduct Detrimental uh, and uh, listen uh, to his podcast. Um, it's it's a great one. It's a great one. Yo, Kiero Taco Bell. I'm gonna get you some taco. It's mind mind blowing. All right, goodbye. Later. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.